like to sweat? Do you enjoy working out? Are you looking for new exercise or fitness ideas? Or are you simply interested in learning more about how to live a healthier lifestyle? If you're looking for information or resources on how to use exercise to improve your quality of life, then All About Fitness is for you. My name is Pete McCall, and I'm a fitness professional who's been educated in training personal trainers since flip phones and portable CD players were popular. I started this podcast to provide a source of reliable information about how to use exercise to help you live your best life possible. Just because we're all getting a little older does not mean we have to give up our favorite sports or recreational activities. The main theme of All About Fitness is to feature the types of exercise that can slow down the biological aging process and to help you learn how to use exercise to be your personal fountain of youth. There are many gym myths which are complete garbage. Sayings like high reps with light weights is the best way to tone up or cardio is the best form of exercise for fat burning are misleading at best and simple fallacies at worst. The fact is that when it comes to fitness, there is very rarely any definitive rule. Most everything should be answered with a that depends because each individual is different and we will each have a slightly different response to a specific type of exercise. However, there are two common gym myths that are relatively true. One is you can't out-train a bad diet and the other is abs are made in the kitchen. Now, the funny thing about these is that they're not specifically exercise related, but are focused more on nutrition. Yes, exercise is important, but whether your goal is to lose weight, maintain your current size, or add muscle as you age, how you feel your body can be one of the most important factors to determine your results. On episode 19 of All About Fitness, I interview Sohalia Digsby, a registered dietitian and the founder of the Best Body Nutrition and Fitness Challenge. Sohalia has authored two books on nutrition and runs an online nutritional coaching program called 52-Day Best Body Countdown to help clients make smarter nutrition choices. Many registered dietitians like Sohalia consider dieting to be a short-term approach to a long-term issue and instead coach clients on how to develop healthy behaviors so they can make smarter choices and follow a healthy eating plan. Sohalia's 52-Day Best Body Countdown has been extremely successful for helping clients to establish healthy behaviors such as eating more vegetables, drinking more water, and doing more physical activity. On episode 19 of All About Fitness, Sohelia and I discuss nutrition and how following the proper eating plan can be a key component for improving your overall health. Now, anyone who knows me personally knows that I don't sport a six-pack. In fact, I'm quite comfortable with my dad bod. I eat to fuel my system and enjoy life not to compete on a stage or model in an underwear ad. That said, after speaking with Sohelia, I am trying to implement her five quick steps that we discuss in this podcast because at the ripe old age of 44, I want to see if I can change some of my nutritional habits and cut a couple kilos of potential energy from my body. Now, on to today's discussion with Sohelia about how nutrition can help you enhance your fitness program. But first, a brief word from the sponsors of All About Fitness, Active Motion Bar and Vicor Fitness. Active Motion Bar is the first resistance training bar where 30% of the weight is a moving mass. An Active Motion Bar can help you strengthen your fascia and elastic connective tissue as well as your muscle, which is important for staying injury-free during the aging process. 
Research has found that exercising with an active motion bar can be up to 170% more effective than using traditional weighted bars. Active motion bar, let the resistance move you. www.activmotionbar.com Vicor Fitness is the maker of the new TerraCore, which is a step, bench, balance trainer, and multifaceted exercise tool combined into one single platform. Go to vicorefitness.com to see the newest piece of equipment that will be taking the fitness industry by storm in 2017. Use the code AAF to save 20% on purchasing a TerraCore of your own. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Vicor Fitness. Better results from better products. Kayla, can you tell us a little bit about your experience, your background? Sure. I'm a registered dietitian. I also work in fitness, so I've been doing that in combination for almost 20 years now, and I, I love it. I love teaching professionals who work in fitness, how to bring the nutrition to the table, and I love working with clients one-on-one as well. And now that's because you hear people talk about, a lot of people say I'm a nutritionist, I'm this. What is, what, what is the credential of a, of a RD, of a registered dietitian? Yeah, there is a difference. A lot of people can use the word nutritionist. They don't have to have a specific degree associated with it. Someone who works in a health food store who may not have attended college for nutrition can use that term. Um, but more and more so lately, we're trying to to streamline that term so that people know what they're getting. So a registered dietitian is someone who has completed an undergraduate degree in nutrition and has completed a postgraduate internship, which is usually a year-long program, and then sat for a board's exam for dietitians. So that's um, a five-year program on the most for most dietitians, whereas a nutritionist doesn't necessarily have something specific associated with it. But recently, the credentialing for dietitians has become registered dietitian nutritionist, which is quite a mouthful, but it's specifying the type of nutritionist since there's so many people using that name so that people know if they want somebody with a science background who's studied studied microbiology and chemistry and all the functions of the body and who has a credentialing body that's going to keep them accountable to the research, then you would want to look for somebody with that RDN because they know um, a lot more about details and nutrition and specific disease states and all those sorts of things. And that that's the way it was explained to me. And so, because I think that's important because <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who call themselves nutritionists. And I think it's really important for people to understand there's a specific difference that somebody who's an RD or the RDN, the registered dietitian nutritionist, has a specific like five years. The way it was explained to me years ago, this is almost like a MED, MD, a medical doctor, where you go four years of school, then one year of supervised work experience. So I just think that's an important distinction to make. And so as an RD, what do you like kind of what's your role? How do you how do you work with clients and, and what do you help people with? Well, I over the about twenty years I've been in this profession have had some changes. My main focus is working with fitness professionals to help them bring nutrition to the table because as I've been a, a fitness pro and instructor for many years, I really think that's the missing piece is so many people are working out so hard, uh, making so many changes in their lifestyle when it comes to the gym, but they're not seeing the results they want because they're not doing the nutrition part, which is you know, honestly a bigger part of the picture for weight control anyway. Um, so I usually work with mostly 
fitness pros who facilitate my program in their areas. And I always do try to keep a couple clients on my schedule so that I can have that one-on-one piece so I can always be on the pulse of what people are really experiencing as they go through the challenges of trying to make lifestyle changes. And do you think people have that? Do you think people make that mistake where they, um, cause you always see you can't out train a bad diet, you know, and, and you know, what's that mean? I mean, how do you, how do you interpret that? I love that phrase. I think, um, the research shows that exercise alone is not effective for weight management. And a lot of people, the reason they're exercising is for weight management. And so, um, you know, you can work out for a solid hour and leave drenched with hair matted to your face, good and sweaty, and feel like a million bucks because you just tore it up. And then in 10 minutes, you can replace those calories. <laughs> yeah. You go and you go down the street to the coffee shop. If you just did 500 calories of exercise and you get a 400-calorie coffee drink and a 300-calorie scone, you just added, you know, you, you had a net gain of 200 calories. And I think people don't, don't realize that. And they get that mentality of, I deserve this because I just, you know, worked so hard. And, and I see that a lot. I do think that people, um, they feel like they're giving it their all so that they feel like they earn yeah. you know, extra calories. But really, they're shooting themselves in the foot in the yeah. end. How often do you find yourself? Because we know the biology. We know the biology nutrition. And I know you study, you know that's what your program to, to prepare you for an RD does is do the biology of how nutrition affects the physiology. But how much of nutrition really gets into the psychology? How much of it it really is you're trying to get people to change their attitudes or change their thoughts about nutrition? Because just from my personal experience, I've seen a lot of clients say, like you just mentioned, I deserve this. I exercise. I can go out and eat what I want. I deserve this. And so how much of, of being an RD is really kind of changing people's mindset towards food or towards nutrition? That's a great question, Pete. And in the recent years as a dietitian, I've been running a Facebook page that really gives me people's personal, honest, raw insights like people do on Facebook, tell you exactly how they feel. And while they're doing my 52-day countdown program, they're, they're just kind of venting. And I've learned a lot about the psychology piece of it even more and more that the information, if everybody just did it, it would be simple, right? But there's reasons that they don't. There's all the, the pieces that end up having us need to coach them and counsel them more than just bring the science to the table. Because if most people do know that they're supposed to do these things, but why aren't they doing it? What's holding them back? So really, in my most recent years, I've really put more of a focus on the importance of accountability for people to actually see these things through that they know they need to do and um, focus on really thinking through what their barriers are that's keeping them from doing what they really need to do. Because most people do know that they need to eat more fruits and vegetables, they need to eat less greasy food, they need to eat out less, but why isn't it happening? And that's Because we see that with exercise too, right? People know they need to do it, but it's that how do we get people into change behavior? How do we get people to make that, to implement behavior change? And so when you when you work with people, like how do you, co- how do you coach behavior change? Like what's your approach to getting people to be able to be smarter in their decision-making process? I think the first step to that is self-assessment, and that's what people don't do. They say, I know, I'm already doing that. And they don't take time to slow down and say, oh, wow. You know, when, when you ask somebody to fill out a food log electronically on something like MyFitnessPal, for example, they find that they don't even eat the things they were going to eat because they don't want to bother logging it. And they become aware that I was going to pop that peppermint in my mouth, but that means I have to pull out my phone and log it in. And so just those experiences and as of late, all the technology that's available for people to record their intake has really been helpful because it's begun that self-assessment process. And I work with people and I have them bring in a food log and then I'll ask them, if you were the dietitian here, what changes would you start with? 
So I see what they've learned already from their personal self-assessment that they, I usually require them to do when they come in to do an appointment with me. Also, as part of my program, um, my first book that I wrote is Countdown to Your Best Body Success Journal, and it has 52 days where there's a self-assessment piece that's very brief for each day to help them tease out what it is that's keeping them from their best. Because a lot of people um, that I work with are already doing some efforts in the gym, and they're wondering what it is. You know, I work so hard. I go to the gym every day. I thought I was eating clean, but I'm not seeing the progress I thought I would. So I help them kind of go through those self-assessment steps each day, just a few quick questions so they can assess what is it that's holding me back? You know, is it my weekends that are undoing my weekdays? Is it those occasional splurges like you mentioned at, at the coffee shop? Um, is it the distribution of the way I do my macronutrients or my calories over the course of the day? So each day in my book, they have the chance to, to look into it and take a minute to think, is this me? Is this what's causing me the trouble that I'm in? That's, I mean, that, that's an important, because being able to get people to look critically, I think, is really where we get the behavior. And I think, you know, one of the things I want to get into with you is you kind of, we're kind of right there, is, is what are people's biggest misconception? Like, what is the biggest mistake you see people make? We've kind of talked about it a little bit, whereas if I'm exercising, I think I can eat what I want. But what's just a very common, like, what's a common mistake that you're like, that you see repeatedly that you wish you could just hit hit some kind of remote control somewhere and get people to change. And they think if they exercise, it'll cover everything. The other piece is that they major on the minors. They ask me questions like, say they say, I have this one question, do you have a minute? And they get a registered dietitian with lots of experience and they ask this one question that won't impact their health at all. It's something that they saw on a magazine as they were going through the grocery line or it's something that they heard on the news on the way in. Um, and even if I answer it perfectly and they implement it, it's probably not going to make any difference in their health because they're majoring on these minor things that are little tidbits of fads that are floating around. And sometimes I want to say to them, you know, we can address that. And if we work together for hours every day, that'll be on the sixth hour of the sixth week. You know, I want to tell them that's just so minor in the big picture of what we really need to focus on. So they major on the minors just because those are the tidbits floating around in the media. And I like that because I, that, that, I, I get that question a lot too when it comes to exercise. I ask about something that's relatively arcane. You're like going, okay, I see from what with the conversation, there are a lot of other things I think we should address first. That wouldn't be on top of the list. Exactly. And, and, that, and that gets to the question that, that you see, you, you talked about eating clean a couple minutes ago. And I know that's been a popular phrase lately. What is, what's your concern? Like, and I've had RD friends say this, you know, when you hear fad diets, what should people know about fad diets? And what, what's a better term? Because personally, I don't like the, the word diet. I try to get people thinking about what's your nutrition strategy. So how do you get people to kind of be more aware about fad diets? Or how do you get people to kind of learn that, to, or you help debunk um, some of the myths around fad diets? Well, first, Pete, I'll tell you one of the things I like about diets and all the books and all the challenges that come out is one thing that's good when someone invests in a book or a challenge or in a personal training session or whatever it is, they become more aware of what they were doing. So all of a sudden, because they've invested in this program, they're, oh, I have to log my food and now I can't just eat what I ate yesterday and didn't pay attention to, or, oh, I need to pay attention to what I was doing before. So that's the first, that's the positive thing from people doing diets. The negative thing is that people are so overwhelmed with all the misinformation or the contradicting information that's out there that they just don't know where to start. And people come in and they tell me, you know, I know you, you will be ashamed of me. I ate a banana. 
And I'm like, oh, well, no, not really, you know, but they've, they've seen this thing on their internet. I have it on mine, this person that's growing to obese levels right before my eyes. And on the side, it says, you know, they ate a banana. Um, so that's confusing. And then there's people that say, I know you'll be so proud of me. I had this shake. I put all this fruit in it. You'll be so proud of me. And in the end, it was, you know, no protein, good antioxidants from the fruit, but way too much sugar from the fruit because they took in, you know, six servings at once. Yeah. Um, and they think I'll be proud because they're just so confused from all the messages. Or they'll say, I had an avocado today. I know you'll be proud. And that's five servings of fat, which is great fat, but that's your whole fat for the day pretty much. Yeah. You know, so they take one little message that they got from somewhere and they take it way too far. Um and so that's the main thing. And because and I think with the fad stuff, and I like that, I really like what you said, Sohaila, is if people are buying a fad book or there are people, people are following that, it's raising their awareness. And I think that's really what a lot of us in our industry we need to do is we need to, you know, if somebody comes, and I kind of took that mindset years ago when, where if I saw you in the gym working out with a magazine, I'm not going to put down the magazine because you're, you bought that magazine. You're following whatever that workout is in that magazine. So what I started doing is I would approach a woman, young woman, you know, looking in a magazine and say, hey, you have any questions about that workout? Can I see that workout? Do you have any questions about it? Let me know if you have any questions about how to do these exercises. Because I saw it as an opportunity, you know, before as a younger trainer, I said, oh, that's crap. You don't need that. But I saw that to say that person is making the time and effort to try to learn something and try to make a change. So I really like that. But, but and do you, do you find that, that that's a good entry point? If people are at least picking up a book, is that a good entry point, a place to kind of be start paying more attention to nutrition? Oh, definitely. That's when they, usually they're at some stage of readiness, right, if they're investing in something. So whether they're not, you know, whether they're ready to take on a, a long challenge or, you know, thir- a 30-day piece like a, that's so popular now, whether they're ready to do something like that or whether they're just noticing something about themselves that they're not content with, it usually means they're going to start being aware. Sometimes just the, the difficulty of some of the fad diets, whether they're, um, you know, All right or not, yeah, yeah. whether they're right or not, the difficulty helps people plan. Yeah. And so for the first time, they're eating out less and planning more. And that they're in be, itself... They're being more aware. They're, yeah, that in itself yeah. is a gift that that, you know, fad diet gave them, even if it can't give them all the results it may promise. So I do love the awareness piece, and I do try to take advantage of that and say, hey, looks like you're ready for some change, um, and then try to direct them into some strategies. I like what you said, a nutrition strategy rather than a diet. And that's what I've kind of um, helped people try to major on majors, five or so strategies that help them long-term success. And... And with that, you know, because one of the things, like, so so for people listening, I met Sohaila, what, a couple weeks ago? We were in Dallas. I yep. think we were in Dallas. We both work on, and you've heard me interview other people on this podcast um, from this uh, series of, of conferences I do. Right now, we're in Reston, Virginia. Yeah, we're in Reston, Virginia. And we'll see each other again in Chicago in a couple weeks. That's right. So I know that, that one of the biggest challenges of travel is trying to make smart choices on the road. And for people that are, you know, that, that, that you know, you're working, you, you, you work a lot of hours, people might commute, people might travel. What are some hacks or what are some just suggestions that you have for people who are just busy professionals and, and their, their best intention is they want to try to have good nutrition, but time does become a factor and, and, and you know, stuff does become a factor. Like I know personally, my wife and I will try to plan meal prep on Sundays. You know, we try to specifically carve out some time. To, we don't always get it done, but at least it, the intention is there. But what, what can you recommend to people who might have some issues with travel and time and just their busy schedule? 
I think that's really smart what you said you guys do at your home. We do the same thing on Sundays. And it doesn't have to be Sunday, but if it becomes the same day at the same time, then it can become part of that lifestyle change. So for me on Sunday night, I have this little routine of things that I go through, prepping vegetables. There's some recipes that I make that'll last for the whole week, Um, some breakfast and healthy snack recipes that can be ready so that when the hungry monster comes out about three o'clock in the (laughs) afternoon, instead of grabbing whatever's easiest to grab, you have something ready. And so those are really smart. There's a couple things that I I have in my cookbook actually that are prepped, that are easy to freeze, quick to defrost, um, that are just go-to foods. So I I like to encourage people to to spend some time. And I know they don't want to. They just want me to give them an answer that requires no time. But I tell them if you just put about an hour a week aside on a Sunday, you can, you know, make some lunches for kids, pack some snacks for you, think ahead, write out your grocery list. Um, I make it pretty easy, like I said, with my cookbook because it has a menu plan in it and each recipe has its own little grocery list so you can mix and match. Um, Because really, like you said, people have good intentions and it's not that they're lazy usually, it's just that it's difficult and life gets in the way. I know as a mom of three kids, I have to be really strategic um, to make sure that there's good food on the table. Um, yeah, and that's and that's just for people listening. I mean, we were talking about this last last night. Is you have three kids, and so and you you this is you're not just somebody here. It's like, oh yeah, do this. You have you know you you work and you have three kids. Your husband works. What do you find? What do you what often is your biggest challenge for 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 preparing for the week? I mean, you know, how do you kind of do you find that scheduling the time every week really helps you stay consistent? And what, but what do you find the biggest challenge? We're talking a little bit about shoveling kids around to various activities during the week. You know, I'm a big fan of family meals. Um, there's all sorts of research as to how that benefits people in many, many ways besides their nutrition. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. So I really have to think in advance, you know, between cross country practice and soccer and piano and all the things that my kids are doing, when are we going to have 30 minutes at the table or even 20? Um, how are we going to strategize that? So I'm a big fan of doubling recipes. You know, just this week before I left to go out of town for this weekend, I made a huge pot of spaghetti and I put tons of veggies in the sauce so that I know that if my husband doesn't have time to (laughs) cut up a big salad, that there's tons in there. There's chopped up spinach. There's all sorts of veggies. And I made an extra mason jar and put it in the freezer. So when you do take time in the kitchen, make it worth your while and double those recipes and um, you know some people don't know which ones are going to freeze well and which ones aren't so I take some time explaining that in my um, Best Body Countdown cookbook and menu plan because I think people want what's practical they just don't know how to tackle it so I'm a big fan of doubling things you know I make a big crock pot of beans and put it you know serve it into um, Ziploc baggies and flatten them and just lay them in the freezer and it seems so cumbersome but it's not I put the beans in the water in the crock pot when I go to bed and I wake up the next morning and scoop them in and put them in the freezer. It's not that big of a deal once it becomes part of your routine and you figure out how to prep for when. Yeah. And that's one thing we've been playing around with. I like the crock pot. My wife's been getting better at the crock pot. And, you know, I, I, I try to get, you know, what we try to do is we'll do, I'll, I'll grill the meat and she'll like do food prep or she'll do something and I'll do like the veggie prep. And I find it, but you're right. Once you make it a habit and when it's our Sunday afternoon habit, you know, we kind of get, get into, we've gotten into the routine over the years of, and, you know, there are sometimes we miss it. And I have to say that the, the, the weeks that we miss it, I can tell by Wednesday or Thursday, my energy level, level's off. You're making poor decisions and you're doing that. 
And, find and yourself in the Forsaken drive-thru, right? You, you well, that's do. great that y'all have been doing that. Good for you, Pete. No, but I think, well, thanks. And I think, and actually, on that real quick, because that's, that's a good point. So I think sometimes with people, I like the term Forsaken drive-thru. Is it okay, and what I try to get people thinking about is sometimes the least unhealthy option. You know, so if somebody is running around from three different practices, they got this and that, and it's seven o'clock at night, and the idea of going home, and even if they have some prepared, it's going to take you twenty-five minutes to get it prepared. You got three whiny kids in the back. You know, is there are there unhealthy are there less unhealthy options that if somebody does get stuck going to the drive to because let's be real, I mean, it happens every now and then. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's just as quick to run into a grocery store in their deli area as it is to go through a drive-through. Honestly, sometimes that's just as quick. So um, I like to encourage people to get on their feet for a quick minute. You know, bring the kids with you if you need to. And everybody, we're going to walk as fast as we can. And, you know, your average grocery store has that deli section right at the front where you can get... Rotisserie chicken. And, yeah, or you can yeah. get individualized salad. Uh, sushi is one of our family favorites for quick. You can eat it about as fast as you can, a burger and fries. Yeah. Um, but it's more healthy and it's more fun, you know. And so you can just run in, grab something, and run out. Even if it's... Sometimes the the... the it's just sometimes it's just a snack that people need until they get home and have the better choice. And you're right. And, and those deli counters are usually right by the produce, you know, and they're right. usually right by the area. So so I like that. That's a good thing of reframing it, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, personally in our neighborhood, you know, we have, it's like literally McDonald's, Taco Bell, and then the Vons, you know, or in the, there's a Vons, is it Vons or Ralph's? Anyway, there's a, there's, a, there's, you have two fast food places and, and the grocery store. So it really is. I can see people... It's just a matter of just retraining yourself. You know, you have that pattern of usually pulling into the drive-thru. And you're right. If you're waiting for a few minutes in the drive-thru, you're in, you know, you got to wait. You take that time and walk into a grocery store, walk across the parking lot. So you're adding a little bit of activity in there. And you're just, you're doing, you're making a healthier choice. And I, that's, because that's pretty powerful. Because even that little type of just little behavior change, I think if people started doing that and saying, okay, instead of going and, and buying the bucket of chicken from a fast food place, Let's go get the rotisserie chicken from the from the grocery store. Is that just a small change that would have an impact on somebody's health? Sure, over time, especially. And if you think about just sometimes making the most of a current habit is not always the best thing. Sometimes just rerouting that habit. For example, you know, a simple example is I live in the South where sweet tea is popular. I don't like unsweet tea. I would never drink it. I like yeah. sweet tea, but unsweet tea is just no appeal to me. But I like peppermint tea. So instead of trying to force myself to enjoy unsweet tea, I can just drink unsweetened peppermint tea because it's nothing like that. Yeah. So if you if you love, love, love McDonald's, instead of trying to force yourself to eat something from McDonald's that you don't like, you'll end up quitting that soon yeah. enough. Yeah. So instead of trying to force yourself to do a version of the same, try to do something completely different that's a positive instead of like, I hate this version of what I really love. And do you try, see what I mean? No, but you're, you're reforming. You're talking about, let's do a positive habit. Like, I feel better walking out of a grocery store knowing I just picked up three apples and a rotisserie chicken as opposed to going into a, a fast food place and getting two burgers and a bag of fries. And you said apples. I'll mention this is just the most simple of tips, but... Even in hot weather, apples can sit in the car for a few hours and still be really good. Yeah. Um, people tell me all the time, I had to go through the drive-thru, and I say, well, how long was your drive? My goodness, you couldn't make it home. Um, and what they're saying is, I was hungry, and I got too hungry because I didn't have a good snack earlier in the day, and a lot of times that's what we need to set us up for success. But they eat because they feel this, you know, their hungry light goes off, sort of like if your gas tank you get that nervous feeling like, I've got to fill this up now. But if they had an apple, and I usually do literally keep 
a bag of apples in my car. And so everybody have an apple, we'll be home in 20 minutes. And then I know there's food there that's more healthy. So sometimes you just have to buy a little time instead yeah. of just giving up and giving in and going through that. And I'm smiling thing. right now because, yeah, my wife and I always grab apples. because and, and apples like one of those things. Bananas don't travel well. <laughs> Oranges and apples travel well, relatively well. And you find this stuff, you know, and you find these little, you know, the hacks, as we call them. Now, real quick to kind of change gears here, because um, I always like to ask this. Yeah, I always like to ask people their favorite workout and their favorite everything. But as, as an RD, if calories, calories go by the wayside, you didn't need to worry about calories, you didn't need to worry about quality of health. What would be your favorite indulgent food? Like, what's your oh, favorite? Goodness. Like, if, if calories, anything like that didn't matter, and you just not, you know, just eat one on, food all eat day. One dude, whatever that, that you wanted. If calories didn't matter at all, Pete, the one food I would probably eat constantly would be toffee, like a Heath bar. Oh, wow. I okay. love the crunch and the chocolate together, and that would be fabulous. Maybe in heaven. Yeah. That's what I'll have all day. <laughs> when you get there. That's now, right. and so, so with that indulgence, how do you, because you, obviously you don't want to sit there and say, no, you can't have it. But is there, is there a strategy that you coach people towards to say, yeah, if there's something you enjoy, sure, you know, have a small one, but don't have the whole bag. Like, don't buy the we're it's you know almost Halloween season, and so you, that's the big the big challenge is going to be. Oh, I'm gonna get the bag. No, don't get the bag of candy. Don't buy it until the day of Halloween. Yeah. But. Yes, I I suggest um, three strategic splurges per week. That is my baseline of what I think is reasonable for people. Um, that way, if you have a, a night out or a party or something, you can think through. And this strategy is part of that Sunday. Remember how we talked yeah. about that one hour at yeah. the beginning of your yeah. week, whether it's Sunday or Monday morning or whatever works for your schedule. You're making your grocery list. You're planning your food. You're prepping some of those foods. And while you're doing it, you think of your week and you think, what are three times during the week that it would be meaningful for me to have a splurge? The hard part is defining what a splurge is. The dietitian in me really wants to define a splurge for people, but I realize when I tell them what the splurge is, you know, if I say the splurge is one glass of wine a week and they're used to having two a day, then going to one a week might not be a reasonable splurge for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been trying to really let them intuitively decide what their splurge should be, but strategically planning in advance. Say, okay, I'm going to a birthday party this weekend. I know I want that cake, or I'm going to a special work event. I know I do want that glass of wine. So thinking in advance what it is um, and planning ahead so that they can mindfully, carefully, slowly enjoy it instead of like, oh, I just did a splurge and I didn't even mean to. Well, that, that gets – because I would try to get clients thinking about this and I try to recommend it is if you're going to have something, you say you are going to go to that birthday party, have a plan for taking it off. It's like with, with finance – for the household finances, you can't just go out and buy – your, your husband can't go out and buy a new boat or you can't go buy – a new, you know, if you want to go buy a new something for yourself, you can't just do it. You have to have, how am I going to budget or how are we, how are we going to afford the budget so we don't go into debt to buy whatever it is we want to buy? So you have to save for it. So I would try to get clients to think about that. If you are going to go to a party, if you are have a dinner where you know you're going to eat a little bit more, what's your plan for taking it off? Because nutrition, in my, is a, as a personal trainer, my point of view is always is it's energy in versus energy out. So if you have a, if you're going to put the energy in your body, have a plan for how you're going to expend it, you know. So, I, so it's interesting that you say that because that was always is that is that a, a, a kind of a, kind of along the same lines of if you have a plan for for eating it, have a plan for burning it. I do think that's important. My main suggestion for if you're having a splurge, if you're really carefully considering what your splurge is and not having a huge splurge, and you're doing about three times a week, then probably if it's small and reasonable, while you're really thinking through doing the right thing, then probably you can trust your body to not go to great extremes 
to erase that. Now, if you're having a big, big splurge like a cruise or a mm-hmm. all-day, all-you-can-eat type thing, then that might be a little different because that's a lot of moving that's going to take to undo that. But um, I think for the most part, I just tell people on those party days, be on your feet every minute that you can and get your workout in because there is a little bit of danger. A lot of people in the fitness industry that I work with are kind of on that eating disorder borderline. Not that they're sick, but they've got these disordered um, mentalities about food. So sometimes I get nervous to tell them, you know, if you go eat that 300 calorie piece of cake, then you owe your body this 300 calorie workout. Mm. Because sometimes what they'll do is they'll get right on the treadmill or right on their activity and watch their Fitbit. And as soon as they hit that 300, they're like, okay, that's erased. And I think it's not always that simple in science. Though, I do think if you're going to have a splurge, like if you're going to go on vacation and you're going to eat more, then what is your plan to move more? So it's more of a general move more plan and be active and on your feet than it is like a calories in, calories out exact, just because I've seen the nature of people getting obsessed when the numbers get too crazy. No, and I think that that's a good point because I think people are, you get to, you know, at least in the exercise side, you get to kind of get two types of personalities. You get the people that they have a hard time making time for exercise, and then you have the people that may do it eight days a week if they could, you know, who right. are overindulgent and they're overly structured and they're, they, they're overly committed to their exercise. Because I find that sometimes the hardest challenge is, you know, a lot of stuff I talk about is recovery. Is taking some time off, letting your body rest, because you don't get you don't get stronger during the workout. You get stronger during the recovery, and right. a lot of people don't don't realize that and, and don't accept that. So, what are some good resources that that people can turn to for nutrition? Like for people who want to learn a little bit more, start learning a little bit more about how to implement habits, whether it's for themselves, if people want to implement habits for themselves or for their families, what are some resources that you point people toward? Okay, I have a couple different ones. I have a favorite website because it's really user friendly. Um, it's CSPI.net, so it's the Center for Science and Public Interest. The reason I like them so much is because they don't take money from any food companies. Okay. So they're really happy to tell you exactly what they think, and they have um, dietitians and other researchers kind of helping get through that hard research that most people don't understand how to really tackle and helping you realize this is the the bottom line and almost all their articles say at the bottom bottom line and so oh, I love cool. that for your average person um, and even for fitness professionals I always encourage them to get their nutrition action magazine and um, again they take no money from anybody and so in terms of food companies so I love that they're just really frank um, and, and user friendly and they review lots of different um, breads and yogurts and different things to tell you which ones have more fiber and all that sort of stuff so they stay on the pulse of sugar substitutes and all those sort of things that people ask about so often. So as much as I love to answer their questions, I also love to give them tools to know how to research it themselves because the research does change from year to year. So my answer may not apply next year when there's more research on that topic. Um, I've written two books. One of them is Countdown to Your Best Body Success Journal. Um, I created that because people, like I said, need to have some self-assessment and because they need to have some structure as they think through making a lifestyle strategy change. And that is about an eight-week program that I encourage people to do with an accountability partner. And so I think it's a good resource. Obviously, I wrote it, so I think it's a good resource. But the reason I created it, Pete, is because there's such a missing piece on people having self-awareness and accountability because we know information. We have more information than we can even manage. So it's not that they just need to read a book or read a website with an update. They need accountability and they need self-assessment. So your recommendation is that somebody does it like a husband, wife, or two friends get together if, they, if they're doing something specific. 
Absolutely, because, you know, if I tell you today that I'm going to cut back my sugar and I ask you to tell me, you know, to do the same and to, to check on me tomorrow, then I'm much more likely to do it. If I tell myself as I'm going to bed tonight, tomorrow <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do way better. Yeah. I'm not going to have that sugar. And then the next day when confronted with sugar, I'll be like, whew, I'm glad I didn't tell anybody yeah. about my strategy. So that accountability piece is more useful than I ever thought it was. So when people do my book, it's actually a consumable journal. You write in it. It has just a few self-assessment questions. And when they do it, I encourage them to do it with their personal trainer, with their boot camp group. Um, with their fitness campaign in January instead of maybe a Biggest Loser type program, which often ends up making like a most dehydrated winner. Um, So that's really not necessarily the goal because it's not lifestyle change. And so um, it's a great tool to implement when you're doing a a campaign. But even one-on-one, like I, I have some personal trainers that use my book and they won't train people unless they're doing the book with them. Oh, that's because cool. Because they don't want their reputation yeah, yeah. to not be visibly obvious in these people that they're training. And without the nutrition, it doesn't matter how hard you work your clients yeah. if they don't understand the nutrition. And obviously, it's not within the scope of the personal trainer to give them a nutrition strategy or plan specifically. So a lot of them use that as a tool. But yes, a husband and wife can do the program together or a friend or you know a bridal party, whatever it is, having that... Um, one-on-one and even group piece accountability is just a beautiful thing. People need it. They really do. And so are those available on on Amazon or do you have a website? Um, They are. They're available on Amazon. And the cookbook that goes with it is the Best Body Countdown Cookbook and Menu Plan. It was pretty much a demand from all the people who had been doing the book because there are some diet changes that they have to make, but their recipes don't correlate or they're used to going out to eat. And they don't know what to do now. So um, the menu plan does go with it and also has an introduction that reinforces the um, educational pieces from the book so that people can really get it in their head so it can make a lifestyle change. It teaches them how to make their own menu plan to continue afterward and just really sets them up for long-term success. Both of those books are available on Amazon. And then also I I run two programs a year every January and every September. Right after the day after MLK Day is day 52, and we count down from day 52 to 1, counting down to people's best body. And then right after Labor Day, we do the same. Those are usually the times of the year when people are ready to make that lifestyle change or kind of change routine. And so that's when I do it nationwide, and a lot of facilitators around the country are running that in their corporate wellness centers or their fitness centers. Boot camps are using that tool. And so there's a bunch of us all together. So while... They have those two books as resources. I also have a Facebook page that I run so they can have that accountability and support and so that if they're in a gym setting where there's not a dietitian, which is most typical, there is an RD on board that can answer the question. So the personal trainers and the, the wellness consultants at the gym or at the corporate setting are doing their job well, but they don't have to try to do somebody else's, right? They can stay in their scope. And that goes back to it because, yeah, personal trainers, we can get you moving more, but we can't answer the questions about the science. I mean, the the science, we can educate clients, but I can't give give a client an eating plan or I can't, you know, give clients specific information that an RD or an RDN can provide the client. Now, you have your five, your list of five, and and what is is that? I, I was looking on your website. And I think it's pretty. I like I like things that are pretty easy to follow, and I, I like that you have this. What do you call them? I call it the countdown five. Okay. Because our goal is counting down to our best body by making strategic changes one day at a time. And so um, the five that I'm about to share with you, Pete, are the essentials to getting to your best body. And. I have to give you this little warning, though. A lot of people want them to be really sparkly. They want them to come in this little crinkly package, and they're not. 
Yeah. And the reason they work is because there's accountability to help people do it. So if you do these and you try to do it without accountability, you may not do it consistently enough to see progress. So um, putting it all together is really, really the most helpful piece. So the five in the countdown, five, four, three, two, one, the five stands for five grams of added sugar, which is just for the first week of that 52-day challenge. It's challenging, but most people, when they sign up, when they're at a readiness point where they're ready to take on a challenge, they need a little bit of a challenge. If it's too easy, they'll think, well, it's not going to work anyway. So that is challenging, and you usually need a friend or a partner saying, we can do this for the whole week to get through, because a lot of people really are addicted to sugar, and there's more and more research coming out on That's how like that a drug. It's and, true. And, and you mean, just to clarify, no more than five grams of added sugar. Is that per day or per, per meal? Or it's per, per day okay. for those first seven days, and then there's a little bit of more liberation in the program. It goes up to 10, which okay. is about two teaspoons worth. And then for the rest of the six weeks or so of the 52 days, I follow the American Heart Association guideline of six teaspoons at the most for a female, which is about 100 calories worth of straight sugar, or nine teaspoons for a male, which is about 150 calories, which really, the the people who realize in the first two weeks how strongly addicted to sugar they are, often I encourage them, don't go past that 10, because it's like telling an alcoholic, you know, just drink two drinks a night. (laughs) And then once they get to the second, they find themselves on the sixth. So um, it's not smart necessarily to put us in a position to, you know, where we can't succeed. But I do think that five grams for one week is challenging, but what it does is it cleans up your diet. It gets you out of a lot of that processed food. It gets you to pay attention to how often you were eating out. It's really a, a moment for people to elicit epiphany, their own moment of like, oh my goodness, my maple and brown sugar pack of oatmeal in the morning, yeah. two packs is six teaspoons and I'm done for the day and it's 6.45 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And so they need to know. Um, and, and having that week, it really helps people, A, break that sugar addiction because believe it or not by the fifth day the 300 people or so on my Facebook at a time are all like oh my gosh I'm over it and they never even knew that was possible so it's really fun to see people liberated from that cool. um, and they don't have to necessarily they're, they're looking into some drugs in the industry but they don't necessarily have to do that going to that fifth day um, with an accountability partner that's helping you get there and some good recipes that are tasteful um, to help you kind of substitute it's really helpful Um, So that's the beginning, and that's the one that makes the biggest impact in most people, especially women, which is, you know, most of your average people in the gym. When you walk in the gym, you're going to see mostly females who are really struggling with the sugar. Um, Then the four of the countdown five is water. And as you know, it's just so not lackluster. Nobody's excited when I tell them about the water. They want me to tell them something I can drop in there or mix in there, you know, all the different things. But in the end, if we're doing all those additives, we might just be going for our best body, but taking a turn to a new habit that we're finding more and more research on that's negative. So I really want them to do four tall water bottles. And I even, in my program, if you sign up for it in January, September, you get an infuser bottle with it so that you can put something in your water if you want, but it can be mint leaves or ginger or strawberries or whatever it is to flavor it instead of um, chemicals, really. That's what people are often putting in their drinks. And so when people drink water consistently, um, it's such a big difference, and they realize they have less headaches, they have better sleep, they have better workouts, all those things. But most people think they're doing water well, and they're not. So when they do it, where in my book, they literally have to check the box every day for four bottles, every day for 52 days. They're amazed. I get these personal letters from people that say, you wouldn't believe it. I've never gone without a headache. I'm actually off this medication, or I... I really have digestive issues, and I'm actually going to the bathroom daily without pain. Thank you, Sohela, and I'm yeah. so grateful that it's this simple fix, and they don't yeah. have to take all these expensive medicines. So 
Um, water's easy, except for the consistency with it is not. People mm-hmm. think they drink it regularly and they don't. So they got to check those boxes. Then the three stands for three meals every day plus a strong snack. And they might even need two strong snacks. And a strong snack is a strategically planned snack. So not like, oh my gosh, I got so hungry that I ate all the cold fries off my kid's plate when I was clearing the table and considered that a snack two hours after dinner. But a strong snack is, you know, it's got fiber, it's got protein. I've got lots of recipes and suggestions for those in my books. But it's something people plan ahead. Um, and they, I really don't encourage people to eat in between. If they have those three meals and a strong snack or two strong snacks if they have a long active day, then they're going to be pretty much set so that they don't have that temptation to have too much ice cream in the evening and all those things that get people into trouble as they get ready for bed. Um, So then the two stands for two veggies at two meals today. Every day, two servings of veggies, at least two meals. And I just tell people, take a plate, divide it in half, fill that big bottom half of the plate, make it look like a big smiley face in your mind full of veggies. Non-starchy veggies if you're not growing, right? Because we know as adults we only grow in one direction yeah, yeah, yeah. or multiple directions, but not the direction we, we, <laughs> we want to vertical, grow. We go horizontal. That's yeah. right. And so if there's kids involved or people who are very, very active, have a, an active job on their feet or, or athletes, they can include some starchy veggies on that half a plate. But if we're not trying to grow or train or grow muscle or really um, you know, gain momentum there, then a half a plate of non-starchy veggies is great. And sometimes that can be you know, stuffed into a pita. It can be chopped up into spaghetti sauce, like I was saying before. It can be stirred into a smoothie. It doesn't have to be this mound of you know, veggies that you frown at on your plate. But veggies are so critical because they fill you up. They fight disease. They do just all kinds of great things for you. And if they're not there what are you putting on that half of your plate pete is the question what are people going to put there if they're not there they're going to let their carbs and proteins spill over into that spot which has its disadvantages right and then the one of the five four three two one stands for one hour of make it count movement every day so even um on off day we should move right we shouldn't say i did so good this week at the gym i'm going to sit totally still the whole day and a lot of people if you know as a personal trainer i'm sure you know this people say you kicked my butt i'm not going to work i'm not going to move the rest of the day oh no you got to move it's it's the more movement you know they they quantify it if people who move more throughout the day can burn up to an additional 300 calories yeah three to four hundred which is a whole nother workout that's a whole nother workout yeah so it's like and you got to figure that it's about 100 calories per mile that the physiologist will say that it spends it takes about 100 calories to move a mile whether you walk or run right if you run you can do more miles in a shorter period of time but so think about that if you're more active if you're on your feet during this interview so hale has been on her feet i've been enjoying uh, being lazy i taught a uh, exercise session earlier and i got another one to teach um so i'm just enjoying my my chair time but but in all honesty we're flying today when i met the lounge when i'm at the airport lounge when i'm at the airport I'm, i usually use one of the standing tables I'm one of these geeks, and, and when I use a certain Starbucks for uh, for my, my office. I always get one of the high-top tables so I can have a standing desk because I can't stand. I'm one of those people, if I'm in a meeting with you, like if we're in a meeting for more than a, more than a few minutes, more than half an hour, I'm usually getting up and walking around the meeting just because I can't stand being at a meeting or being sitting there listening all day. So it's always it's tough. So I like that. I like that simple fact of you say one hour of, of what you call it? Make it count movement. Make it count movement. Because you know, Pete, some people think of the exercise oh. word as a negative word. So let's just make it exciting. And what I break it down into is at least 30 minutes of that time needs to be what I call move it, move it time. Yeah. And the other half of that time can be don't just stand there, move it time. And my, my Facebook people have renamed that DJST time. Yeah. So they're like, oh, instead of watching the kids play basketball out front after work, 
I'm going to get up and do that with them. But that doesn't require a shower. It doesn't require no. tennis shoes, sports bra, all that good thing. They got good stuff. It just requires being on your feet and moving. And it actually is more energizing than it is draining. Yeah, yeah. And when people actually do it, they realize, wow, you know, I feel more energetic not more worn out. And so helping them think for 30 minutes of it, make it very quality, shower-worthy workout. <laughs> but other 30 yeah. minutes over the day, even if it's in 10-minute bouts, yeah. make movement count. Yeah. Because really what I don't want them to do is finish my 52-day program and and not have a lifestyle of movement set up. So, And that's such an important, because you're saying lifestyle of movement. I mean, I'm sure with your family, you've talked about your kids playing sports. My kids are young enough that I don't have them in sports yet. I'm not going to start them in sports for a while, but I try to get them on the playground every day and try to get them out moving every day. And, and you know, they know both my wife and I teach exercise. And I always talk, I, what I try to do is I frame exercise. This is why daddy and mommy do exercise because we want to be healthy. You know, I don't, I don't talk about weight loss. I don't talk about anything like that, but I try to frame it in terms of making it, you know, it's about our health and try to show it's a daily habit. And so now they know that when we go to the playground, that's their gym time. And then when we go to the gym, we drop them off in daycare. That that's mommy and daddy. I tell them that's mommy and daddy's playground. I was like, you guys that's have good. your playground, and you know. But but it comes down to is trying to instill those habits, you know. Because as parents, our job is we want to inst- my my the way I look at it is I want to install physical or instill physical literacy. You know, I want I want my kids to be you know physically active and intellectually curious. Yeah. You know what that means for them is is wide open. So anything, what's something that somebody could be doing today, you know, to be a little bit healthier? People who listen to this podcast and say, you know, because we all said, oh, today I'll do, tomorrow I'll do better. But what's one thing that somebody could do right now to be a little bit, to, to make a better nutrition choice or to be a little bit healthier? I think, Pete, the biggest thing people can do to make a change is to try that five grams of added sugar for one day. And fruit sugar and milk sugar doesn't count, though it can accumulate um, to too much, but just added sugar is sugar that's added in the form of processing or that you add yourself when you're making something. So if you add sugar to your oatmeal or if you buy added or or cereals and things like that, I think if people even do that for one day, they just really have this opportunity to open their eyes. Even if they're not a sweets lover, they see that their sauces and their dressings and their packaged foods need to be reduced and they can think about some replacement. So even if you just do that for a couple days, usually you need an accountability partner to keep from quitting. You need to tell somebody you're doing it and ask them to do it along with you. But I think even today, if you're hearing this podcast and it's lunchtime, see if you can make it the rest of the day with five or less, and it helps you to investigate what's in your pantry, what's in your fridge, how often you're going to restaurants where you don't even know what they put in it. It just gives you some awareness of yourself. So I think that's the, the first and best thing to do for your average person because most people really are eating foods with more sugar in them than they have any idea they are. Yeah, that's and, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head. We are because they know. I mean, when they do the testing, that, that sugar can light the same pleasure centers as cocaine. I mean, you know, sugar, dopamine, cocaine. Yeah. yeah, they hit the dopamine and serotonin. And people want to find out what's your website. If people want to find uh, yeah. out about your program, it's bestbodyin52.com. B-E-S-T-B-O-D-Y-I-N-5-2.com. And I'll have the link down in the show notes so you can just drop down a little bit lower and, and hit on it and find out what Sahelia has to offer. As I mentioned on All About Fitness 18, I'm going to start doing a little bit more editorializing or a little more off-the-cuff um, kind of pontificating at the end of the podcast. I try to keep the the introduction short because I want to focus on the meat of the interview with my guest. But at the end of it, I want to talk a little bit about what it all means um, because we got to have some context. And you heard Sahelia talk about her five steps or five quick things that you can do. And and as I mentioned in, in the introduction, 
um, I've been trying to implement some of those specifically um, trying to reduce the sugar. And it's really, as I've been reading the stuff that, that we have in our fridge and stuff that I, that I eat on a regular basis, you know, like Greek yogurt and other things that, that you know, we, we perceive as healthy, I'm realizing how much added sugar there are. And, I'm, and I personally am, am trying to follow some of the suggestions we talked about. And uh, so far, um, it's not easy. But uh, as someone who goes around and teaches personal trainers and teaches workshops about fitness – and teaches in a couple colleges, I, I got to put my money where my mouth is, and I have to put my best foot forward and try to practice what I preach. Now, mainly I talk about strength training. Mainly I talk about exercise physiology, how movement, how exercise, strength training, cardio training, how it affects the physiology. And I've always kind of put, personally, I've always kind of put nutrition on the back burner going, yeah, yeah, well, I know it's important. And I try to make smart choices, but I'm guilty of enjoying a slice of pizza or having a cheeseburger every now and then. Um, but as I'm aging, and especially as I'm aging working in fitness, I'm acutely aware that um, many of my contemporaries are, are definitely doing a much better job of uh, having you know, model-type bodies. And, and again, I never aspired to do that. I never, even before the days of social media, I never aspired to be a fitness model or to be a bodybuilder. I mean, when I was first you know, 15, 16 and picked up my first weights and you know, trying to emulate Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the 80s, it maybe is a little bit different, but for years, my approach and my focus on fitness has been having the energy to do what you want to do when you want to do it. I personally, when I work with clients, I try to get them away from the aesthetics. I want to focus on performance, focus on, on quality of life, focus on energy, focus on, you know, do you like to hike, bike? Do you want to play with your kids? Do you want to surf? What do you, what do you want to do? Let's train for what you want to do and let's not worry about what the mirror tells us. Let's focus on what you want to do. Um, but we have to pay attention to the fact that how we fuel our body does affect how our body looks. Um, there's a comedian out there, a guy by the name of Eddie Griffin, who talks about his body being a temple, and he wants to worship his temple by eating the best things for his body. So that combined with a bunch of other things, I've been taking a look, a strong look at nutrition, going, okay, what better choices can I make? What? And that's not necessarily cutting out. I don't like the idea of cutting out, but it's like, how can I fuel better? You know, one of my thing, one of the things I want to do is you know, I have a have a deal with my wife that that you know when I reach a certain when we reach a certain certain financial status, I get to invest in a Porsche Porsche 911. I've wanted a Porsche since even before I started lifting weights, so probably for more than thirty years. And I'm not going to buy a new one. I can't spend that much money on one, but I want to be able to buy. You know, in a few years when I turn fifty, I'm going to take uh, some stock that I have and and whatever the stock is worth when I'm fifty, I'm going to try to buy a Porsche that I can afford. The point being that if, if I have a sports car, if I have a performance automobile, I'm going to take care of it and put the best gas in it and take the best care possible of it. Well, why not try to start doing the same thing with my body? If my body is a performance vehicle, the way I feel my body, I've always tried to be a B student and probably about a high C, good B student, 75, 80%, meaning that I try to eat right and make healthy choices 75, 80% of the time. You know, like a lot of people, I personally, I fall into the trap of, okay, maybe I have a couple extra sweets because I'm working out hard or you had a really hard training session today. So maybe I'll have a cup of yogurt, frozen yogurt with some toppings with the kids, you know, when we're out running errands, or maybe I'll get a, get an extra treat at Starbucks. Uh, you know, one of my, one of my weaknesses is pumpkin bread. Well, pumpkin bread still 300 some calories. And if we look at the fact that about a mile, a mile equals about a hundred calories, well, if I eat, you know, a 300 calorie piece of uh, pumpkin bread, I just bought three miles. So, you know, talking with with registered dietitians like Sohelia, and I'm gonna have another one of my friends who's a dietitian uh, on the podcast soon. 
Um, she's really smart and really good at what she does. And so once we line up the date, I'll definitely be recording that because we have to look at the facts that nutrition fuels our body. And if you enjoy fitness, then you should not only eat for the way, you know, for the way that you want to live, but also eat to support, you know, eat for fuel. And and looking at it, um, some of the fuel choices I've been making personally probably aren't the best. I definitely wouldn't put them in a Porsche 911. So that said, hopefully you got a few things out of today's conversation. It's not to try to, to say anybody's doing a bad job, but because I never want to say that when it comes to fitness. I never want to say that when it comes to nutrition. We're always, we're doing what we can. You're doing what you can today, but can we do a better job tomorrow? Can we do 1% better? Years ago, I learned the art of Kaizen or the principle of Kaizen, which is improving 1% at a time. So after being around a number of wonderful fitness professionals and nutrition professionals like Sohelia, I, I'm going to challenge myself and try to improve my nutrition intake 1% at a time. Now, the last thing to finish up for today, um, and I'm going to put this in the show notes as well, but Sohelia and I speak on a series of conferences called SCW Fitness. SCW Fitness, if you go to scwfitness.com, that's scwfitness.com, it's a series of conferences and fitness events around the country that take place starting in February and finish in, in November. We'll be in cities like New York, Orlando, Florida. I think we'll be in San Francisco this year, Atlanta, Georgia, Chicago. You don't have to be a fitness professional to come enjoy this. What, what a fitness conference is, is a chance to learn about exercise, to learn about fitness. You'll hear people like Sohelia talk about nutrition. I'm doing a, a couple series on anatomy this year, like what your muscles really do. Um, so if you're, if you're going to be in any of those cities, you can check out the, the conference show notes below. I'm also speaking at the idea personal trainer Institute. Um, the, there's the personal trainers to East is in February in Maryland, uh, West, I think is in April in Seattle, but anyway, I'm going to be speaking at those and a number of other conferences. So as I go forward and, and if you're listening, you don't have to be a, a fitness professional to attend one of these conferences and I need to do a better job of putting conference dates out there. Anyway, hope you got a lot out of today's podcast. It really has been a pleasure bringing it to you. Um, it's a pleasure. You know, it gets me out of my comfort zone. You know, normally I like to talk about strength and conditioning and fitness and things that make us bigger, faster, stronger. And uh, I've found that when I talk about nutrition, it makes me a little uncomfortable because I have to take a look at some of my habits. But sometimes that uncomfortability is good because it causes change. You know, being slightly uncomfortable is what causes change. And I talk about that quite a bit from exercise so it's kind of fun to have my, you know, having the shoe on the other foot and be there with that point of view for nutrition. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at PeteMC underscore fitness. My Instagram handle is Pete McCall, P-E-T-E McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. My email is Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. And if you have any feedback, if there are any guests that you really like to hear or anything that you'd like me to focus on on the show, please send me a note. Um, and if you like the show, if you're still listening, if you like the show, please take a minute or two and review it on iTunes because the more uh, the more podcasts, um, uh, you know, the more podcasts the show has on the iTunes, the higher up in the rankings it gets. So with that, thank you very much for your time, and I look forward to having you pop in for a later episode of All About Fitness. Be good and stay healthy.